Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. Time to check in with Brian Billick. We call the segment Inside the Game as Brian takes a look at what's happening in the NFL, not only last week, but also the upcoming games this weekend as well. And of course, you have seen him on the Fox and NFL Networks. And Brian, uh, holiday weekend uh, of games right through Thanksgiving and everything. But when you look back on it as a whole, all the things that happening uh, happened that weekend. What do you? What were you left with? What 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 stays with you about the action last week? Well, I think it's a continuation of what we've been saying for a while. And and uh, you know, my mentor and our good friend Denny Green, God rest his soul, always used to say that you are what your record says you are. Okay, and particularly now that we're at that point in the season where um, we're seeing a repeat, it's kind of rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat of some good teams that look good. And then the next week, all of a sudden, they don't look good. And and, and you kind of scratch your head. Um, Buffalo versus New Orleans, a perfect example in New Orleans. That should have been a close game. But Buffalo looked absolutely dominant. Now, this is the same Buffalo team that lost to Jacksonville. Tennessee and New England. And New England, we keep saying it every week, Ron, New England is the surprise team of the NFL. They dominated Tennessee 36-13 to with a rookie quarterback. Uh, the Rams and Green Bay, you know, over the weekend was an excellent game. The Rams played well. The, you know, they're playing well enough to win, but they're not. They've got, what, like four losses in a row? So it's got to be a little bit of a head-scratcher. So the season is beginning, you know, we're, we're beginning to see in December, which I always call the dash for the cash, because now we're heading for the playoffs. But I, I still don't know that we see any team that can consistently say, yeah, other than maybe New England, um, that, yeah, consistently we're there, we're the best team in our division. New England now at eight and four, and I think it begs the question, and I think we're probably in a pretty good position to answer it. At least you are. You're a Super Bowl winning coach. When you look at Bill Belichick and what he has done with his New England team and a rookie quarterback, you wonder whether it was not more Bill Belichick than it was Tom Brady. Do we have an answer to that question yet? No, it's both. You know, can't diminish what Tom Brady has done to go on to Tampa Bay and done what he's done. But Bill Belichick, make no mistake. I mean, this is a slam dunk Hall of Fame head coach. And and the question was going in, do you really want to sign on at this late stage? I think Bill's, what, 69, going on 70 years old, with the redevelopment of a young quarterback? And the answer, obviously, is yes. Mac Jones, and we talk about it every week, is so mature beyond his age. 
and against Tennessee. Now, Tennessee's a good football team. But he was 23 of 32 for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. They ran the ball for over 100 yards. Um, what was interesting was that Tennessee ran the ball for 270 yards, and that's without Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, So the fact that they dominated the time of possession, they were able to run the ball, but Mac Jones, when he got in, typically that's when a rookie – you know, a rookie would show up and as being, okay, here's a rookie. You know, you d- diminished possessions. The other team's grinding the clock down. But he was spectacular. So he, again, is answering the bell at every turn that he's the real deal. New England's playing pretty good defense. Even with that 270 yards rushing, Tennessee only came up with 13 points. So New England clearly is, is the real deal. When you take a uh, look at the New England Patriots and the young quarterback, we've talked about this before, and I think you having been a kind of quarterback whisperer before you became the head coach at Baltimore, you're able to measure players, particularly young players' development and everything. You are able to see how much they've developed since game number one to game number 10 and everything. What's been the greatest big step that Jones has taken this season so far? Well, he really plays within himself. You hear us talk about that all the time with young quarterbacks. Let the talent around you come to the fore. Don't feel like you have to do it all. And we talked about many times with Mac Jones, the problem coming out of Alabama, and it really wasn't a problem, but we just didn't know. He was at Alabama. He was behind the best offensive line in college football, throwing to the best wide receiver tandem in, in, in college football turning around and handing off to the best running back in college football. So we just, okay, we really didn't have an opportunity at Alabama. Just how good is Mac Jones? He never had to be that guy to pull them out of the game, consistently be that guy. So you didn't know what he would do in the NFL. Uh, and clearly he is showing that, that yes, he is capable uh, of being a franchise quarterback. His, his, you know, his, his numbers are outstanding beyond what you would expect with a rookie. Uh, and and he just is showing a maturity right now, and we're getting close to the end of the season. But he's going to be over a 500 throw guy, completing close to 70 percent of his passes with a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. You can't ask more of a rookie than that. So he clearly has answered the bell. Let's take a look at some of the other games in week number 12. The 49ers were at home, and you just wondered if they could keep it going against a quality team like Minnesota, and indeed they did, uh, even though Garoppolo threw an ugly, ugly <laughs> interception in that first drive that they had. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in the 49ers. I mean, they could always have run the football. They did it a couple of seasons in a row, and then all of a sudden they didn't start out this season. What's the difference in this 49er team? Well, I think they're healthier, but but they're getting back into that rhythm. And I'm, I'm very much one believer a believer in momentum and a a team that begins to get a little bit of a rhythm. This team is beginning to look like that, that championship team that they had. I mean, against a good Minnesota team that actually played well. I mean, they put up 26 points, but San Francisco had the ball for 37 minutes. Um, And, and, and that's obviously the way they want to play. They ran the ball for 208 yards on 39 carries. Jimmy Garoppolo, you're right. The interception was unfortunate, but he only had to throw the ball 26 times yet. He did for 230 yards. Now, Kirk Cousins was very good. He was 20 of 32 over 200 yards. Uh, They didn't run the ball as well. So again, the 49er defense, that combination, good defense, stop the run, run the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo playing efficiently all but, you know, the, the, the turnover, which is obviously you got to stay away from. Um, 
this is a good formula for the 49ers. So if they can sustain this, they're getting back and getting healthy a little bit. Uh, you know, right now, you're looking in the NFC. They're, they're the sixth seed currently. Uh, Arizona at 9-2. I don't know that they're going to catch Arizona. Uh, but in that division, they and the Rams, you know, and that, that head-to-head is going to be so important when we look at the 49ers and the Rams going down the way because that may make the difference in terms of who's going to make the top seven for the playoffs. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in Seattle because they played the Monday night game, lost to Washington in that game. And some people are still questioning about whether their quarterback is healthy or not. But I think it's a little bit more than just that. I think they have some other issues on that team. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I, we've talked about it before, Ron, that I think – and it, every team is dependent on its quarterback. I, I get that. But I don't think there's another team in the NFL that relies more on its quarterback play or has than Seattle and, and, and Russell Wilson. He's been spectacular, and as good as they've kind of been on and off defensively, offensively, it is all about him. Well, clearly, it's not right right now. And now whether it's the finger, whether it's the combination what's around him, they're just not a healthy football team right now. Their defense is pedestrian at best. Uh, and, and the way they're trying to play, putting it all on Russell Wilson's shoulders, and he is just not able to answer the call right now. Now, he was 20 of 31 for 247 yards, two touchdowns, but they only ran the ball for 34 yards. And it's back to, again, the offensive line. Remember the issues that Russell Wilson was talking about, was concerned about the offensive line play. Uh, and Washington, Washington's an interesting team. You know, with Tyler Heineke, he's kind of playing pretty well. And, and they're running the ball, around the ball for 152 yards. Now, I don't know that they're going to catch Dallas, but they're showing that they're a competent team. But Seattle, and again, it was Seattle at Washington, West Coast going to East Coast. We've talked about that repeatedly, how difficult that is. But Seattle at 3-8, and eight, they're just not very good. And, and Russell Wilson is not playing well enough, whether healthy or not, to overcome the fact that they're just not a good football team. We have a minute before we have to break. How good is Cincinnati in your mind? You know what? They deserve the respect uh, that, that, that yes, that they're given the fact that particularly in the AFC, everybody has shown us their warts, so to speak. Uh, but the, they're as good as anybody in the NFC. There again, Joe Burrow, incredibly efficient, 20 to 24. But they ran the ball for almost 200 yards. Uh, and, and Pittsburgh, they were able to get pressure on Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh, again, wasn't able to run the ball. So Cincinnati looks like the real deal. And we're going to find out because now they're in the heart of the uh, AFC North schedule. They're going to play Baltimore. They're going to play Cleveland. They're going to play Pittsburgh again. Uh, and we're going to find out. But to, to beat Pittsburgh 41-10 to 10, uh, and the way that they did it and the balance that they had, yes, they are very real. They're a solid football team, and and particularly in the way in the AFC and both the NFC as well, but the AFC in particular, where it's a week-to-week deal, whether Buffalo, New England, Baltimore, Kansas City, are they going to show up and play consistently at that level of play? It's it's a I don't think it's a stretch to say that they right now are as good as anybody in the AFC. Great recap and analysis from a Super Bowl winning coach, Brian Billick, on Inside the Game. And when we come back on the other side, we've got Week 13 coming up. And so we'll take a look at some of the key games on that schedule for Week number 13 and break it down for you. We continue with more of you and Inside the Game on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. 
Welcome back to Inside the Game. Brian Billick with us, a Super Bowl winning coach who I know you've seen on the Fox and NFL networks during the course of his broadcasting career. And we've got week number 13 coming up. Tell me a little bit about the mindset of teams, particularly those that are that are in contention possibly for the playoffs at this point in the season. Well, it's interesting because obviously every game's important. And the win in December isn't any more important than the win in, in September. The only difference is a loss or a win. We know the repercussions of it more readily compared to what you did in September. Uh, and as we've talked about many times before, these teams, have they are who they are. They've developed a personality. We've seen all the warts on all the teams, both the AFC and the NFC, and they can show up at any time. So, for instance, one of the marquee games, New England at Buffalo. No one's playing any better than New England. And Buffalo, at times, has been absolutely dominant. They were last week in New Orleans beating uh, the Saints 31-6. And I know the Saints are struggling offensively, but that's a pretty good defense. So we're going to find out, particularly now that in December, there's a lot of divisional games where you're playing your, your, excuse, yeah, your divisional opponents. And the fact New England and Buffalo, this is going to be a very telling game. Right now, New England is, is right there with Baltimore in terms of the top of the division. Buffalo, who's as good as anybody and has been good, dominant almost during the course of the season. But now the question is, can they, this is going to be the real tell. Can they, with New England coming to Buffalo, and that's a, that's a real Mac Jones, the young rookie quarterback we've talked about, this is going to be the challenge for him. Buffalo's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Under three points means it's a pick em game. Buffalo's got to play its best game, and they've got to see if they defensively can limit the really outstanding play of the rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Dallas and New Orleans, that game. I find this one fascinating because obviously New Orleans is struggling. I'm not quite sure what the problem is. You could better tell me in that. But uh, when you look at the Cowboys, this is a game in which they're looking into the mirror and they're trying to see and figure out what kind of team are we? Do you see it that way? Yeah, they're they're sitting in pretty good shape atop the the NFC East at 7-4. We've seen some dominant play, outstanding game against the, the Raiders, wasn't it? I mean, it was just fun to yeah. watch. Dak Prescott, 32 of 47 for 375 yards, two touchdowns. Now, they didn't run the ball as well. You give credit to the Raiders for that because the Raiders, Derek Carr was equally spectacular, 24 of 39 for 373, but they ran for 143 yards as well. So, obviously, for the Dallas Cowboys, they've got to get that running game cranked back up. Um, uh, the Oakland, Oakland, excuse me, oh boy, I'm going old school. Las <laughs> Vegas, Las Vegas had the ball for better than 39 minutes, and so that's where it got tough for Dallas. Dallas has got to get back to that balance. Dak Prescott's playing outstanding. They've got to get back to that running game. The defense is playing well enough, even though it was an outstanding game, 36-33, came down into the overtime. But again, in New Orleans, and we talk all the time about going into New Orleans, how difficult it is in the Dome, defensive line, and the defense is solid. The problem with New Orleans is offensively, they just don't have any continuity. Trevor Simeon is a placeholder at best. Uh, will they get Taysom uh, Hill back? That's the question. Now, he's going to be rusty if indeed they can put him in at quarterback. But Trevor Simeon is pedestrian at best, and that's tough for New Orleans, particularly when you got to keep up with Dak Prescott in that offense. I have to ask you about a team like Chicago. Now, it's going to be Arizona against Chicago. And when a team has got the rumors around them that their coach is going to be let go almost game to game in situations, 
Um, how do teams respond to that, and how does it manifest itself on the field, especially against an Arizona team? Because I would think a team as talented as Arizona is, they're going to be aware that this is a team that may be fighting for their coach's job. Yeah, you know, it, it becomes an us against them. The problem is the them or the us may not include the coach. And and there's no question that the players uh, respond to that. They the, the fact that, okay, these guys may not be here to evaluate me next year. They want to go out and win. They want to go out and play well. There's no question about that. They want to get good tape for if indeed there's a coaching change for the new coaches to come in and say, yes, we want to keep this guy. So I don't, you know, I, certainly it means a lot to the staff, and they may like the coach and they want to play hard for him. But at the end of the day, they're they're playing hard for themselves. And Chicago, again, at the, at the end of the day, they're just not very good. You know, defense is solid. Offense, it's been up and down, and Andy Dalton's been okay. Uh, we will see what happens with Justin Fields. Uh, but it's a tough place to be in December when you're not very good. There's rumors about your coach going down. You're sitting there at four and seven. It's just not a fun place to be. You know, I'm really surprised, Brian. Uh, it's going to be Denver against Kansas City, and the Chiefs are favored by 10 points. Now, just a game is separating those two teams in the AFC West, and then you've got the Chargers also in the mix as well. Uh, why are the Chiefs favored? Is it the home field advantage, or, or what is it? Well, yeah, it's a very tough place to play, although we'll say this. Denver has played Kansas City very well over the last few years, even though they've been kind of, you know, not as good a football team. So that's certainly a factor. I think Kansas City, the last couple games, have appeared to kind of got their mojo back. The last two games, they've come up with some big plays. Let's remember when we went back up to the first part of the uh, middle part of the season, that was the biggest thing with Kansas City. They weren't generating big plays. Last couple games, they've kind of gotten back to where they're generating big plays. So it, it remains to be seen whether teams can, again, get into that configuration, don't give up the big plays, see if they go the length of the field. Denver is still challenged offensively, and the Kansas City defense is playing better. There's times that they've played absolutely brilliantly. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo's done a great job. But I think the fact that they're at home, the fact that Denver is sporadic offensively, and the fact that Kansas City seems to have gotten back into that big play rhythm, I think that's what that's what accounts for the the, the point spread, them being at home with a 10-point advantage. And the ongoing question of the week here on Inside the Game, <laughs> does Detroit get their first win of the season oh, against boy. Minnesota? <laughs> wow. It, it, this is, uh, you know, it's tough. And, and, and for, for Dan Campbell, the, the head coach, who's desperately trying to show relevance for his players. For, and they've played very well. They, they, I mean, they've been within a score on a number of games. There's a number of games they could have won. They just haven't. And, and Minnesota is a team that we know is very capable. Last week against San Francisco, Kirk Cousins looked very good. They didn't run the ball quite as well. Davlin Cook couldn't get cranked up. Uh, but but Detroit just seems to be this black hole that that and 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 the part of the problem is there's no institutional knowledge there's no institutional anything that you can lean on with these players or the coaching staff that when when the proverbial you know what hits the fan that you can lean on one another to say we're okay we can work our way out of this because there's no one on that team that can say that. They've just they've struggled, and when it's come down to crunch time, they haven't been able to do the little things to finish it off. And until they do, 
that's going to be a problem because the the team is itself just can't rely on one another. They don't know what it is to fathom the storm to be good enough to win. And until you do, that's a tough place to be. And uh, we got about two minutes left, but I think we'll know whether the Rams are the real deal or they're phonies this year. They're going to be at home to take on uh, Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, how they respond to what's happened to them over the last three weeks uh, is is really going to be telling, I, I, I think. If they don't win this game, then I think everything goes south. Well, that would be huge because the Rams have been playing well enough. Now, there's been some cons- inconsistencies, like everybody. Uh, uh, Matthew Stafford has been solid. Three touchdowns on 38 uh, attempts, over 300 yards. They didn't run the ball particularly well. And, of course, Aaron Rodgers did his thing. You know, he threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. They were at home. That's a tough place to win. Ran the ball okay. That was the big thing. The offensive line of the Green Bay Packers looked like they held up against the defensive line of the, of the Los Angeles Rams, and that was a head-scratcher. And, and the Rams, the, we talked about it earlier, the Rams are playing well enough to win. They're just not. I mean, they're, they're on a three-game losing streak. Uh, now, this is Jacksonville, and you're right. Uh, uh, at home, against Jacksonville, this can't even be close. Uh, and, and the hard part is, they, obviously, they feel that way. They know that. The trouble is, during the course of the season, you're lo- course of the week, you're looking at the film. And you can see Jacksonville's not very good. And you got Arizona at Arizona the next week. So, you know, it's hard not to look forward. They'll say they won't. They'll try to keep their focus on Jacksonville. But you're right, at home, for them to flounder around a little bit, they have an opportunity coming up. They're at Arizona, so and they're very capable of winning that game. Seattle, who's struggling. But then they got to go to Minnesota, to Baltimore. So before they come home to San Francisco. So they're going to have to earn this. They're a good football team. They just haven't been able to put it together the last three weeks. Great breakdown, Coach, and we'll see you next week, okay? Sounds great. Brian Billick with us each week. Uh, he comes along. Inside the Game is the name of this segment that all of you fans seem to like a lot. You've seen him on the Fox and the NFL Networks because he was the head coach at Baltimore when they won Super Bowl number 35 against the Giants, 34-7. to And what he does is he takes a look at all the action of the weekend before and breaks it down for you as to why and who, and then comes back again on the other side and takes a look at the next week's games that are coming up. And, boy, I've known Brian for a long time. He certainly knows what he's talking about. Brian Billick and Inside the Game. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, 
Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. Eric Crouch joins us on Sports Byline, Nebraska quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy and also the Davy O'Brien Awards. And he led the Huskers to the 2001 national title game. He holds NCAA records for career rushing TDs by a quarterback. And he led Nebraska to a 42-9 record and four bowl bursts. And Eric has now been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Eric, what thoughts and reflections do you have about being inducted into the Hall of Fame, knowing all the challenges and obstacles you had to overcome to have the career you had? Well, I'm uh, again. I I got to take little credit. I mean, I I came from a program that had a lot of stability, very good coaches, um, a lot of support, and you know, Nebraska was riding pretty high in the '90s, and uh, I was a byproduct of that. I mean, I I worked hard. We had good teams, and we won a lot of games, but. I can't take all the credit. I'm just, I'm very, I'm very happy to, you know, be inducted on behalf of uh, the university and, you know, my family and all my teammates. And so I'm just, it's an, it was an exciting day to get that announcement. I was, I was very proud of, you know, you know, being from Nebraska and, and playing football at the university. You had uh, another supporter in your mom because you grew up and you said growing up, you admired your mom's dedication, determination, eventually emulating those traits on the football field. Tell me more about her. Well, um, she, you know, she's a very hard worker. And, um, you know, we, as, as young kids, we watched that. And, you know, it didn't take us long to know that, you know, if you put your, you know, you if you put, your mind to something that you can accomplish it. And that's where we got the belief and the confidence in ourselves. And it wasn't about, you know, what we were good at or, you know, who we knew or anything like that. It's just if we had an idea in our mind and, and we stuck, stuck to it that we could get it accomplished. And, you know, she instilled that in us and, uh, you know, she had three jobs to support us. Um, you know, she was just very determined and uh, very hard worker. And and I think those are the things that really, you know, obviously when you get down to the core of a person and, and what your, your upbringing was and where you're from, um, it, it really had to do with that, you know, mental toughness and physical toughness and just being able to weather any storm and believe that you can get the job done. And, you know, it doesn't matter what, or who throws anything your way, you can just overcome it. And that was the mentality, you know, throughout my whole entire football career. 
I smiled when I read another quote from you, Eric, and that was, if someone would have sat me down when I was 15 <laughs> and told me that I was going to play at Nebraska and that I was going to break all these records and that I was going to be up for the Heisman Trophy, I would have laughed and said, yeah, right, dreams aren't supposed to come true. I love that uh, quote from you. <laughs> well, I, I just think that, you know, the reason I said that is because I just, it wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up wanting to be, I guess I didn't grow up wanting to be a Heisman Trophy winner. I just, I wanted to be the best. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I was a kid that grew up watching, you know, I was a huge quarterback fan and I got to watching and really idolizing all the NFL quarterbacks that I was, you know, wanting to be, um, you know, Montana, Elway, Randall Cunningham, Steve DeBerg, uh, you know, the list of quarterbacks that I watched and wanted to be, um, you know, goes on and on and on. And I mean, I, I've got, I've got collector books of football cards of, you know, multiple, multiple rookie cards of like Marino and John Elway and Joe Montana. And then I got more obsessed and I wanted to go for, you know, every one of their cards that was ever printed, you know, and then I got even crazier and I wanted all the air cards, you know, and then I, <laughs> bought the Beckett magazine, wanted to know how much money I had. And then I was trading them off. And I just, you know, I just, that's, that was my life. And that's what I wanted to be. And so um, I, I dedicated myself to that. You were recruited by Tom Osborne and you played for Frank Solich. Tell me about the first time you met Tom. Well, um, it was at a football camp and, um, it was, it was, it was pretty intimidating. You know, you go down to a football camp and, you know, 94, 95, when they're winning back-to-back titles and, you know, here's Tom Osborne, you know, and you're standing next to him at, you know, at a camp and he's kind of talking to you and you're like a, you know, a statue because you don't know how to respond. Um, and you're 15 years old, you know what you want to say, you just don't know how to say it. And, um, I just uh, I I admired Coach Osborne for everything that he'd done, but just more importantly, the way that he treated uh, people, and the way that he cared more about who you were and who you would be. And um, obviously, football was important, but he had a way about himself that what was really more important was, um, you know, life. And so I think we were able to kind of relax a little bit and, and, and play the best football that we could knowing that, you know, other things were more important than, than football. However, um, in Nebraska football is pretty darn important. <laughs> I know you started every game in the 2000 season and Nebraska's only losses during that 10, two season were to eventual national, uh, national champion, Oklahoma and the Kansas State Wildcats. But let me take you to 2001 because you had your best year, breaking school or NCAA records almost weekly. There was one play, and I know you know what I'm going to ask you about, is Black 41 flash reverse pass. Tell everybody what that is and how that play came about. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the, the quick version, uh, and that was – it, 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 on before we played Oklahoma, it was a number one, number two matchup in, in Lincoln. And, you know, one of the things that there's some history between the programs and they have to do with, you know, big, you know, kind of like magical trick plays. And, and uh, I remember coach Solich, um, you know, we came in as a team and 
broke up and went into your offense and your defensive groups. And I remember him kind of lifting up the uh, or playing a video for us. He played a video, and the video was kind of the history of the Nebraska. Oklahoma matchups where there was a trick play, you know, either by Oklahoma or Nebraska. Well, the screen goes up and here's this play on the board, you know, and everyone's kind of looking at each other like we're, we're pretty pumped, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, this, this play is going to work and we're glad he put it in. This is kind of outside the box for, you know, what we do. We're not really a trick, you know, play team. We always stick to the bread and butter option, you know, play action pass. And so we were pretty excited. Well, uh, the play didn't work at all during the week. It was intercepted. It was a fumble. It was a, you know, bad pitch. You know, it was an incomplete pass. It was something. And I just remember um, on Friday, you know, Coach uh, Turner Gill, who was my quarterback coach, came to me and he goes, hey, uh, we're, we're, we're tossing this out of the play, the playbook for the game. It was not in the game plan. So I said, you know what? It didn't work all week. You know, that's fine with me. And so we're in the game and, you know, you, you know, you're 22 years old or whatever, and you're pretty set on your game plan and you, you know, here's what we're going to do. And they called the play and I'm thinking, I, <laughs> my, I'm thinking, is this guy crazy? Um, but I had to kind of sell it. Like I, I couldn't kind of turn and look and like throw my hands up. Like, what do you, you know, I had to just go with it. And, um, it worked, and uh, the rest is kind of history. You know, it was, uh, it was definitely what sealed the deal uh, for that victory. It was probably Frank Solich's, you know, biggest win um, up to that point as a head coach in Nebraska. So, you know, and, it, and today, you know, one of the biggest plays that anyone ever asked me about is that play, you know, how I felt, how it worked, you know, why we did it, and where they were sitting and how they watched it and what living room they were in and what bar <laughs> they were with, who they were with. I mean, um, you know, the, the the stories just go on and on and on about people remembering where they were. It was just like a, you know, um, some type of memory, you know, that you have, like, you know, when you're at, when, when, you know, you saw the towers get struck by airplanes, you know, it was just one of those deals. Pretty powerful you know, people. You know, as I do, uh, when somebody wins the Heisman Trophy, they're highly considered when it comes to the NFL. That's not necessarily the case today. But you were initially drafted by the St. Louis Rams uh, as a wide receiver, but still wanted to play quarterback. And I have always bristled about labeling. And I know that's what they did an awful lot. And they probably still do it to some degree in the NFL today. When you look around the National Football League, not everybody is 6'3 or 6'2 and everything. Uh, How did you approach that and being labeled the way the NFL labeled you as being too short to play quarterback? Oh, you know, I, I think I was weak-minded at 23, and I didn't stick to my, you know, guts. And um, I much rather would have failed at, at least trying to play that position in the NFL versus changing positions and failing there. Um, I think I would have had a much better chance at something that I really had passion for and that I really believed in myself as. And I think, you know, I can live with, that type of failure. So it's, you know, it was a tough, it was a lot of tough decisions. I didn't have the greatest professional career. I, I played in, I don't know, five, four different leagues, five different teams. I mean, there was a lot of different position changes and, you know, things that I had to deal with, but, um, you know, I, I, I still enjoy having the career that I did. And 
you know, if I could go back, I would probably be a little more strict in the position that I wanted to play. Um, instead of really just getting my foot in the door in the NFL and playing a position that, hey, you can make a career out of it, it just, you know, there's there's two different beliefs. One's getting the NFL any way you can. You know, I guess the other would, would be, hey, follow your heart and, and your dream and your passion and, and um, you know, go that route. And, and I just didn't do that, you know, at the beginning. So, you know, that's kind of where I, I think I made a mistake, uh, you know, early on. Yeah, you know, as I think back on your career, and I remember watching you at Nebraska and thinking uh, when all of this came down in the National Football League and then watching you after that, I thought it took something out of you athletically and maybe even personally. Am I correct about that observation? Oh, you're most – I mean, I, I've I've always – I mean, I've talked to a lot of football coaches that know me, and, um, you know, one of them, you know, very closely – uh, was my high school coach, Fred Petito, and he just said, you know, just something different when you got the ball in your hands. Mm-hmm. And and um, and I think that's what it was. It was I needed to have the ball in my hands. And being a receiver, and uh, not that you can't get the ball in your hands, but it's a lot more limited. And you may only catch, you know, one or two passes a game. If that, you know, it just really depends on being open and how – you know, how the game plan rolls. So um, at quarterback, regardless of anything, you're getting the ball in your hands and you have, you know, decisions to make and, and you're the leader out on the team and you're calling the plays and, you know, uh, people are looking to you, you know, to to lead their offense. And I think that's the part that I missed. When you think back on your life and your career, is there a particular moment, Eric, that is kind of engraved in your mind that you'll never, ever forget? Wow. I mean, I've I've had many uh good times playing football and uh, i guess the one that for me in college that sticks out is that i wasn't a starter you know myself i I was fortunate as a freshman i started i started eight games and i played in 11 and but i wasn't the starter i was i was filling in for an injured bobby newcomb at quarterback and uh my sophomore year i wasn't named the starter and i almost quit football I was really disappointed and thought that uh, maybe I just wasn't good enough to play, and I'm just glad that I stuck it out. So I guess all the the football players that are young and and feel like they're not good enough, you know, you just got to keep pushing. And I think that is, you know, I mean, there's I'm probably not doing this interview right now if I would have hit the eject button. You know, I'm not I'm I don't have a Heisman Trophy or Davey O'Brien or Walter Camp or you know playing in national titles or all those records. You know, these types of things. I just I don't have any of that. So I'm really I'm I'm grateful and thankful for the people that were able to knock some sense into me, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, uh, to make sure that I really stuck the commitment out that I had to the university. Well, I want to congratulate you because you can now say you're a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. And I appreciate you talking about your life, about your mom as well, and uh, Coach Osborne and other things. So take care and come back and join us again. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thank you. I appreciate it. Eric Crouch, again, Nebraska quarterback. He won the Heisman Trophy, also the Davey O'Brien Trophy as well. That's emblematic of of being the top quarterback in the country. He led the Huskers to the 2001 national title game, and he holds the NCAA record for career rushing TDs by a quarterback and led Nebraska to a 42-9 record and four bowl bursts. And as I mentioned, he is now a member of the College Football Hall of Fame. I'm Ron Barr. We continue on America's Sports Talk Show.
You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to the Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.